title of my message is The Importance of the Resurrection. When you talk to most Christians about the resurrection of Jesus, they know very little. They have very little understanding of resurrection power. Seven is the number of completion. Church, the, the number seven means fullness. Everyone say fullness. In other words, Jesus shed his blood seven times in seven places. That means he completely and fully saved whosoever would come to him. And I, I'm not going, someday I may teach this in more detail, but I'm not going to give the scriptures because of time. But number one, he shed great drops of blood in Gethsemane when he was struggling with what he was facing. He struggled with the decision to go to the cross and pay the price to be scourged by the Romans and be nailed to the cross. He was struggling with this in such agony of surrender that he sweat great drops of blood. I don't know if you've ever struggled with surrender to God, but if you have, you have a Savior who surrendered to much more than any of us will ever be asked to surrender to. Number two, when he was on trial, they beat him with their hands, with their fists, and with rods on his face. That was a way to shame him. It was considered very shameful to strike someone in the face. And so his face was bloodied and bleeding. Number three, they pulled the hair of his beard, pulled it out by the roots. And so Jesus had a beard. But they took hold of the hair of his beard and they pulled it out by the roots. And so where that hair had been growing, blood was shed. Number four, we went into this in detail last week. The Romans scourged Jesus. It was one thing to be scourged by the Jews. They put limits on their cruelty. But the Romans had no limits, and their purpose was to inflict as much pain, punishment, and torment as possible. And Jesus was scourged by the Romans. And so we know that his back, his hips, his legs, his shoulders, his neck, his even his chest had great hunks of flesh were pulled out by the scourging that Jesus endured. He shed much of his blood during that scourging. And then number five, a crown of thorns was pressed upon his head and blood flowed from the wounds that those thorns made. Church, I don't know if you've ever been in agony of mind. I don't know if you've ever been tormented in your mind. But Jesus was. 
and we can look to him, that crown of thorns that was jammed down on his head and the blood that was shed, that represents the area of the mind. Do you know even the blood of Jesus redeems our minds to God? We do not have to be confused. We do not have to be tormented in our mind. We do not have to live with fear and doubt day and night. Elder Francis, because of what Jesus suffered, he bore all mental torment for us. And number six, Jesus was crucified. And big metal nails were driven through his wrists and through his feet. And blood poured from his wounds. And then, and he died. <clears throat> he gave his life during the crucifixion. I'm going to read that to you. And number seven, his side was pierced. Remember the Roman soldiers didn't break his legs. They broke the thief on the right and the thief on the left. They broke their legs, but they realized Jesus was dead. But to confirm it, they pierced his side. And blood and water, bodily fluids, ran out with the blood. That meant his heart had ceased to beat. Jesus was dead. And last Sunday... We looked at the horror of being scourged by the Romans. This was not a quick death when the Romans scourged you. They took their time. They enjoyed tormenting their victims. So it wasn't that they scourged you quickly. You know, if you're hung by the neck until dead, church, it happens quickly. Even if you're, I don't know, your head's chopped off. If they chop off your head, it's quick. You understand? If, if um, I'm thinking of ways that they, it, they used to burn people alive. But do you know that was quick? But scourging was a slow, painful death. But Jesus didn't die during the Roman scourging. In all of recorded history, Jesus is the only man that's ever been scourged and crucified. He, in other words, he gave his life to the uttermost. He was scourged and crucified for you and for me. I want us to, from this particular Moed forward, whenever we read Isaiah 53, 3 through 5, I want us to read it with new eyes, with new understanding, and with such a grateful heart. Let's read this. Let's begin with verse, did I give you three through five or just five? Let, let me start with three through five. He is despised and rejected by men. Church, that means he was uh, he was forsaken. Jesus was forsaken by men. A man of sorrows 
and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows mean, means he, he became acquainted with sickness. Sorrows means sickness. Grief, sorry, sorrows means pain. Grief means sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Church, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, men were not honoring him. Though he was giving his life for them, men were not honoring him. Do you know, you, you just have to be obedient to God whether men honor you or not. I want you to keep that in mind. We don't obey God to be honored. But we obey God because he's Ask us to do a certain thing. Surely he has borne our griefs. That word in the original language is sicknesses. And carried our sorrows. That word in the original language is pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. That word wounded means pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised, that means crushed, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, that word stripes means blows that cut in, and that was the scourging. By his stripes, actually, originally, that is one word, by his stripe, we are healed. Because you couldn't count the stripes on his back. All the flesh was gone on Jesus' back. But you can say, by his stripes, we are healed. But I want us to do that with a new understanding. A fresh faith in the stripes of Jesus. First Peter 2.24, in the New King James Version, says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. So all that Jesus suffered, all that he endured, was not for himself. It was not because he did anything wrong. No, he was sent to earth to be our sacrifice for sin. And on that cross, he bore our sin, and he bore the consequences of sin. All of hell, all of darkness, all of the curse was unleashed on Jesus so that we can say, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm healed. By the stripes of Jesus, I'm redeemed from death because my Savior gave his life for me. I have eternal life because Jesus was raised from the dead. All of this was done because God so loved the world. Hallelujah. So, church, I, I want to make a couple of things really clear. 
Jesus was in terrible condition when they untied him from the scourging post where the Roman soldiers scourged and flogged him. Yet they made him carry his cross to Calvary. And Jesus was nailed to the cross with big, thick metal nails, his wrists and his feet, and he hung there for six hours. Now, medical people and people who understand these things tell us that the most excruciating way to die is crucifixion. Second is scourging, but number one is crucifixion. For one reason, there are many reasons for it, but do you know it can take up to four days to die if you're being crucified? So it can be a long, agonizing death. But Jesus was in such a mutilated state from the scourging and the beatings that he had received that when he was nailed to the cross, Scripture tells us he hung there from 9 a.m., on Friday to 3 p.m. on what we call Good Friday. He hung there and endured all that he endured, pain that is unimaginable, suffering that none of us can even begin to understand. Jesus endured for six hours on the cross. Church 6 is the number of men. Six is the number of humanity. Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary for six hours. That means he died for mankind. He died to redeem men. And he suffered as no man has ever suffered before. John 19 and verses 29 through 30 in the Passion Translation, just before he died, he said, I thirst. I explained that to you last week, that so much blood and bodily fluids had gone out that you become excruciatingly thirsty. So he said, I thirst. A jar of sour wine was sitting nearby. That's vinegar. So they soaked a sponge with it and put it on the stalk of hyssop and raised it to his lips. When he had sipped the sour wine, he said, now this is the Passion Translation, it is finished, my bride. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. In other words, he breathed his last, his spirit and soul departed from his body, Jesus was dead, but I love the way the Passion Translation says this. It says, it is finished, my bride. In other words, the work of salvation for the bride of Christ, which is the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The work of salvation was finished. He had given his life for whosoever would believe. Church, I love Galatians 3 
and verses 13 through 15 in the Passion Translation. It says, Yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. Can you say amen? Now, church, when, when the Bible says full, it means kabisa. Let me translate that for you. Everyone say kabisa. Let's say it twice. Kabisa, kabisa. It was paid in full. Hallelujah. He absorbed it, the curse, completely as he became a curse in our place. For it is written, everyone who is hung upon a tree is doubly cursed. Jesus, our Messiah, was cursed in our place and in so doing dissolved the curse from our lives so that all the blessings of Abraham can be poured out even upon non-Jewish believers. Church, that's us. And now God gives us the promise of the wonderful Holy Spirit who lives within us when we believe in him. And so church, Jesus, we celebrate. And in this church, we celebrate every year the Moed of Passover and the fulfillment is resurrection of the price that our Savior paid. Jesus was our loving substitute to make a way for us to be saved from our sin and to come into God's kingdom as sons and daughters of God. We are born again sons and daughters of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Oh, church, we can never praise him enough because we, we as Gentiles, we had nothing to do with God. Our ancestors had nothing to do with God. We did not have one covenant with God. We had no connection to God, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. I want to tell you a, or read you a story that I read that really touched my heart. I read it some days ago, and there was a little girl named Liz. She suffered from a rare and very serious disease. Her only chance of recovery was a blood transfusion from her five-year-old brother who had miraculously survived the disease and he had developed antibodies that Liz very much needed. The doctor explained the situation to the little five-year-old brother, and he asked the brother, will you be willing to give your blood to save your sister? The little boy hesitated for only a moment before he took a deep breath and said, yes, I'll do it if it will save her. So they set everything up 
and began the blood transfusion. He lay beside his sister on the bed, and as the transfusion progressed, everyone was so happy to see color coming back into the sister's cheeks. But the little boy's face grew pale. His smile began to fade. He looked up at the doctor and asked with a trembling voice, will I start to die right away? The little boy had misunderstood the doctor. He thought he was going to have to give all of his blood for his sister to be saved. The little boy loved his sister so much that he was willing to die for her. The little boy for his sister so that she could live. Church, I'm, I'm not sure if that story was true or not. As, as I read it, it didn't say that it was fiction. You know, a child could misunderstand that way very easily. But the moral of the story is very wonderful. It's about the amazing love that a little boy can have for his big sister. But an even more amazing story is the truth about God's love for us. It was so great that Jesus was willing to give his own life, suffer our punishment, suffer our death. He took all darkness upon his own body and upon his own life because of God's great love for us. He did give his life to the uttermost. And nothing we can say, I, I do not have the words to describe the indescribable beauty of God's love for every human being. But Jesus died instead of you and me dying in our sin and eternally being judged for our sin. Jesus loved us so much that he took our place to remove all sin, all judgment, all the curse, all darkness, all torment, all fear. In other words, let me say it this way. Jesus took all the bad stuff. Do we have a phrase in Kiswahili for bad stuff? He took all the... I heard Mumbai. Here we go. Mambo Mabaya. Mambo Mabaya. Jesus took it all. Hallelujah. Because of God's great love for us. The innocent one was punished for the guilty. What kind of love is that, church? When the innocent one agrees to pay the price and be punished for the guilty. But church, that's not all. That's not the end of the story. After Jesus' death and burial, his disciples were brokenhearted. 
They were full of fear. They feared the Jews. They feared the Romans. They had just seen their leader publicly shamed and crucified in the most terrible, unimaginable way possible. So they're hiding behind locked doors for fear that they will be dragged out and put to death as well as Jesus' followers. They had no hope. They had lost all hope. Their hearts were broken. But then something began to happen. Two of Jesus' disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. And a man came beside them and joined them in their walk. And as they were walking, they said, have you heard everything that's been happening in Jerusalem? And he said, well, what's been happening? He said, everyone's talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, the death, death of Jesus. And they said in Luke 24 and verse 21, we had hoped he was the one. In other words, they lost all hope that Jesus was the one. Does this one say it that way? But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. In other words, Jesus appeared early to them. So, church, the early Christian movement, the disciples and all who knew Jesus, that should have died out very quickly because the leader of the movement was dead. Everyone knew he was dead. Instead, the early Christian movement thrived and by Acts chapter 17, the scriptures say the disciples had turned the world upside down. Now, if their leader was dead and stayed dead, how did that happen? Well, it's because he didn't stay dead. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And this is the heart of the Christian message. We need to understand his sacrifice. We need to understand his payment for our sin. We need to understand the sufferings of Christ because he redeemed us back to God. But the heart of the Christian message is that Jesus did not stay dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. It is real. It happened. And there were many witnesses. Church, no greater words were ever uttered than when Jesus prophesied. In John 14 and verse 19, he said, this is prior to his crucifixion, so he's prophesying. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And then in John 11 and verse 25, Jesus was speaking to Martha after the brother of Martha and Mary, Lazarus, had died. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. 
Hallelujah. Even though we lay down our mortal body, in reality, we will never taste death. We will never know death because we've been born again. And church, when you're born again, you receive eternal life. So you already have escaped from the snares of death. Hallelujah. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, that doesn't mean ultimate death. It's just simply speaking about physical death will live. In the Passion Translation, I like this. Martha, Jesus said, you don't have to wait until then. I am the resurrection and I am eternal life. Anyone who clings to me in faith, even though he dies, will live forever. Church, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have eternal life. And these words should influence every aspect of our life. Church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should influence us each and every day of our life. It is of the greatest importance that we know, believe, and understand the resurrection of our Lord. What does the word resurrection mean? What does the word resurrection mean? It literally means to stand up again. Hallelujah. To stand up again. It means restoration to life. Glory to God. And it means to rise from the dead. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that of all the revelation he received, all the messages he preached, all the wisdom that heaven poured out upon the great Apostle Paul, he made it clear that this was the most essential revelation for every Christian. I know a lot of Christians think, well, my, my most essential revelation is I need money. I need to prosper. No, if you get any money, you're going to get it out of resurrection life the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Every blessing flows out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 3 through 6 in the Amplified Bible says, For I passed on to you as of first importance, what I also received. In other words, Paul received many revelations, but he's telling us now what is of first importance, not only for Paul, but for every believer, this is of first importance. If you don't understand this, then the whole of your life will be in disorder. You'll never bear the fruit of the Spirit that God has desired for you to bring forth in your life. You'll read about it, but unless you put this first in your life, 
your life will not be in divine order. Paul said, for I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that number one, Christ died for our sins, according to that which the scriptures foretold. And number two, that he was buried. And number three, that he was bodily raised on the third day, according to that which the scriptures foretold. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, the majority of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep in death. In other words, church, this is the core and the heart of what we believe, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised to new life on the third day. Church, without that, we're not Christians. You understand, without that, we're not born again. We can go to church, that does not make us a Christian. That does not make us a son and a daughter of God. I love the Passion Translation. It says, for I have shared with you what I have received and what is of utmost importance. The Messiah died for our sins fulfilling the prophecies of the scriptures. He was buried in a tomb and was raised from the dead after three days as foretold in the scriptures. So Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is of first importance. Without this belief and faith in it, there is no resurrection from the dead. Jesus' bodily resurrection is critical to our faith. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was the pivot point of the new faith that the believers of that day, they came out from behind locked doors. And in just a few days down the road, the baptism, 50 days later, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Miracles, signs, wonders, 5,000, 3,000 saved in one meeting, 5,000 saved in another meeting. Great things began to happen as the kingdom of God came in the lives of people. How does the kingdom of God come into anyone's life? Church, we must be born again. How are we born Again, we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he was raised to new life on the third day. Without that, we have no faith. We're just simply religious. You cannot say, well, I believe Jesus is the Savior. And yes, I believe he went to the cross and he paid the price for my sins. But this resurrection stuff, now I can't go that far. You know, there are people who say things like that. Now this being raised from the dead, woo, 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 that, that's kind of spooky. I don't believe that. Well, if you don't believe Jesus was raised from the dead, then he's dead. 
as far as you're concerned. And what can a dead man do for you? Can a dead man save you from your sins? Can a dead man rescue you from judgment? Can a dead man save you from hell? No. So a dead man can't do anything for you. You have no faith unless you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If, church, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we have no Savior. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we have no deliverer. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we have no helper. We have no comforter. We have no one to help us in the problems and the issues of life. When we come to the end of our life, and each and every one of us will come to the end of our life, we have no hope. There's no hope because we have no Savior. Church, can I hear an amen? The bodily resurrection of Jesus is at the very heart of our faith. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 in the Passion Translation, Paul writes, And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then in, Philipp, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, I'm not sure I gave that to you all. I added it. Romans 10 and verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is no salvation without these three primary beliefs. Jesus died for my sin. He was buried in a tomb. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Paul is saying in uh, Philippians 3.10, Paul says something very, very powerful to us. Philippians 3.10 is one of my very favorite scriptures. And it says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. In other words, we're to live our life as though we are dead to this world. This world is not to determine our life. The things that go on in this world are not what guide our decisions. We live our lives being conformed to his death. What was his death? His death was a sacrifice. So that I may know him. This is my number one goal in life. In other words, Paul is saying in Philippians 3.10, the number one issue with every believer is to know Jesus Christ.
personally. In other words, if you have vision for your life, if you set out goals for your life, if you, at the beginning of every year, you write down one, this year I want to number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, be sure and make number one that I may know him. Your life is out of order if you are not seeking to know the Lord. You may be seeking a diploma or seeking a degree or seeking a certificate or seeking a husband or seeking a wife. Some of you are smiling at me. There may be a number of things you desire in your life, but number one, if you want your life to be in divine order, is that I may know him. Paul is saying this is the priority for the believer. And number two, <clears throat> that I may know him and, number two, the power of, of his resurrection. Church, how significant it is to know <clears throat> Jesus Christ in a personal way, but my life will not be transformed unless I know the power of his resurrection. This is how we go from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. Church, it's not magic. Transformation is not magic. Change in a person's life is not magic. If you are being changed, if you are being conformed to the image of Christ, it's because you've surrendered to the power of his resurrection. His resurrection power is living in you, and you're surrendering to it day by day. Your life is transformed only by resurrection power. It's not transformed by willpower. I will not do this again. I will not do this again. You can say I will not, I will not, I will not as many times as you want to, but until you surrender to the work of the resurrection power of God in your life, your life will not be transformed. Oh, church, let me say something there. Surrendering to the power of his resurrection takes a humility. It takes living in a state of forgiveness. It takes learning to not take offense. There are many weapons the enemy sends your way to keep you from the power of his resurrection. The devil is determined. We will not live in the power of his resurrection. We have to be determined with the help of God. I will live in the power of the resurrection. Hallelujah. And then uh, let, let me read you another scripture about the power of his resurrection. It's one of my favorite. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying, I've been crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. It is no longer I who live, that old man before I surrendered to Christ. But Christ lives in me. How does Christ live in me unless he was raised from the dead? How does Christ live, live in me? He lives in me by the power of resurrection. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So Christ, in his resurrection power, is living in Paul, and he's living in us. If we surrender our lives to him on a daily basis, and we pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will, but thy will be done. Church, the power of resurrection begins to live in us. And then number three, let's go back to Philippians 3 and 10. Uh, and, and number three is the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said we need to know him. We need to know the power of his resurrection. And then number three, the fellowship of his sufferings. What does that mean? That means Jesus lived a life of sacrifice and I'm also called to live a life of sacrifice. I'm called to sacrifice my life, church, as a Christian that God's kingdom may come and God's will may be done. And the fellowship of his sufferings. That means whatever he asks me to do, I'm willing to do. Whatever God directs me to do, I'm to humble myself and do it. Not seeking our own will, but seeking the will of the heavenly. Father, church, can you say amen? Jesus won a great victory for us on the cross of Calvary. He died, but his death was not the end. Jesus conquered death. He conquered hell, he conquered the curse, he conquered the grave, he conquered all the forces of darkness, and he gives us eternal life. In other words, we're going to live the life of God for all eternity. And God's asking this generation in this hour to make a great shift in our faith and to make a great shift not just be church attenders, but he wants to, us to come in to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How do I do that? I'm born again, but how do I come in to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? It's available to whosoever will, but it means we have to, number one, make knowing Christ our priority, knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, knowing the Holy Spirit, this becomes 
the number one priority of our life. Church, we're, we're not out to prove anything. We're not out to build a big name for ourselves or, or uh, become rich, become famous, none of that. But the number one priority of our life is that we may know him. And number two is church, we encounter him. How do we encounter Jesus? Well, we primarily encounter him through the word. Primarily, we encounter Jesus through the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus Christ is the word of God. How do I encounter Jesus on a daily basis? I get in the Word of God. I read the Word of God. I pray the Word of God. I never just read. I pray as I go along. A certain scripture will grab my heart, and I'll just stop right there and begin to pray that scripture out loud and make prayers to God from the Word of God. We sing the word of God. We lift up the word of God. Every time we do so in faith, we're encountering Jesus. Number three, I work with the Lord in prayer. I encounter the Lord in prayer, and I work with the Lord in prayer. Lifting up prayers, communicating with heaven, communicating with our Father, through the name of Jesus, I work with the Lord in prayer. And is this number three or four? Three, some said three, some said four. How do I live a resurrection-centered life? Is that I obey the Lord. I honor him. I obey him. I live a life of obedience. Church, are you with me? I live a life of obedience. Now, does that mean, when I say that, I'm talking about all of us. Maybe I should say it this way. We are to live lives of obedience. When we obey the Lord, we're walking with the Lord. We're walking in the footsteps he's ordered for us, and he's walking with us. So when I commit myself and you commit yourself to a life of obedience, we're encountering God in our obedience. And this is how we live in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not just supposed to study the resurrection. We're not just supposed to hear about the resurrection. We're not just supposed to one time a year Hear somebody say, and Jesus was raised from the dead. No, we're called to live our lives in the resurrection power of God. How do we do that? Through the word, through prayer, through obedience, through yielding to the Holy Spirit. Church, we do it through worship, and so on and so forth. 
But if we commit our lives to Jesus, more and more resurrection power will live within us. I don't know about you, but I need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How many of you need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Church, this is not just a moed, and we celebrate it and, and go on to other things and forget all about it till next year. We're called to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. This should be primary with us. May I hear an amen. Would you stand up on your feet, please? Stand up and lift up your hands. Let's begin to bless the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we're so thankful for the word of God. We're so thankful that you teach us how to walk with you, how to live with you. You teach us about what Jesus went through to redeem our lives back to you. And we want to say today, Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the work of the cross. But Father, we're so, so thankful that Jesus was raised from the dead. And he's alive forevermore. And he ever liveth. We're so thankful, Father. We're so thankful that he did not go to the grave and stay in the grave. But on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he is alive forever, forever, and forever, and forevermore, Jesus Christ is alive. Father, we're so thankful. We bless you today for your great plan of salvation and that it includes every man. It includes whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Father, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice who has never surrendered their life to Jesus, I pray that right now their hearts would be open and that they would understand that today is their day of salvation. It's their day to surrender to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, may we ever be mindful of making knowing you our number one priority. Knowing Jesus Christ, understanding his sacrifice, understanding the resurrection power of God, being conformed to him, submitting even to the sacrifices that we are called to make. Father, we thank you and we praise you. This is our priority. Above everything else in this life, knowing you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings is our number one priority. Church, I just want you to begin to thank him and praise him for pouring out the spirit of revelation upon each one of us.
that this year we've understood some things we've never seen before. And we're surrendering in ways we've never surrendered before. And we're believing for things we've never believed for before. And it will come forth by the resurrection power. Father, I speak resurrection power over this congregation. I speak resurrection power into every life, into every family, that our lives will be transformed by your resurrection power. We cannot stay the same as we are today because of your resurrection power. And we want to thank you and praise you that we're going from glory to glory to glory to glory and father our prayer as we make you our number one priority is show us your glory father show us your glory we pray this in the matchless name of jesus hallelujah